Romans chapter 8. And uh, you can go ahead and turn there, and we're going to be doing things a little bit different today in Romans 8, and I'm going to go over that with you. Uh, before that, though, I want to give you a couple of updates about uh, where we are and where we're going in terms of our teaching and, and, the, and the preaching ministry. Um, as you guys know, we are in our series in Romans, and we are, I guess today's number 35, our 35th message in the book. And I don't know if you know this, but Romans has 16 chapters, and we are in chapter 8, and we are about halfway through chapter 8. So if you go off of numbers and verses only, then we are basically about halfway through our, our time in Romans. And so I don't know if you measure that out and you double 35, I, I'm thinking we'll be in Romans, you know, maybe we'll have 70 to 75 messages in the book of Romans, which to me is really, really exciting gives us stuff that we can go back to um, in, our, in our personal time and connect group times and whatever it might be. So I'm excited about that, but additionally, I wanted to let you know that uh, for the month of December, we're going to take a little bit of a break from uh, Romans. It's always good to take breaks here and there, and December provides us a great opportunity to do that. And so what we're planning is a little bit of a Advent sermon series that we're real excited about. We're going to, be, um, we're going to begin the series next week. And we're going to introduce you to the series, and we're also going to give you some online uh, resources that will go along with the series that will help you in your personal Bible reading time, uh, something that you can follow along during the uh, Advent season. Uh, and this, is, this comes out with, um, and I forget all the different publishers and stuff, we'll, I'll get it to you next week, but it's one of the things that you'll have access to online uh, that hopefully day to day you'll be reading. Uh, and then we'll all be reading on our own uh, passages of Scripture that will kind of line up with that next week's uh, sermon, uh, and it'll be a really good time of reflecting on the Advent, reflecting on the Christmas season. So we'll give more details out about that next week. So we're going to take a month-long break from Romans, and uh, and then we're going to dive back into it at the, at the first of the year. So having said all that, I didn't want to dive too deep into the part of Romans chapter 8 where we find ourselves today because this section, uh, specifically verse 18, really through, I don't know, 20, 28, 26, 25, it's really, really deep stuff, and we're going to dive into that the first of the year. So I don't want to get too deep into it today, but what I did want to do is kind of cover where we are in light of uh, some recent events that some of you are aware of and some of you aren't. Uh, and I'll be making you aware this morning of, of some things because it, it just lines up great with uh, the scripture where we are. So if you weren't here last week, we covered uh, verses 15, 16, and 17. And we talked about those verses giving us so much assurance and peace, protection, and, and comfort because of the relationship we have with Christ through the spirit of adoption. And we talked about adoption being a beautiful picture of the gospel. And there's nothing probably more in terms of like what we have physically that signifies the gospel better than adoption. And so that means great things for our future, for sure, but it also means great things for our present. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be promised an easy or a time now full of prosperity. It's actually the opposite, right? We talked about this last week uh, in verses 16 and 17, and that's where I want to start this morning. And I want to start with a little bit of a review because it ties into where I want to go this morning. So uh, let me backtrack just a moment to Romans 8, uh, 16. I know we covered this last week. I'm going to read it 
and it lays the groundwork for 18. So this is Paul speaking in verse 16, Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we talked about this last week. There's some awesome promises in the first part of 16 or all of 16, first part of 17. And those things are great, that we are children of God, we're heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Christ. And, and just like I mentioned, saying those words is not enough for us to comprehend you are, if you are in Christ, a fellow heir of Christ, meaning everything due to Jesus will now be due to you. I mean, that's unfathomable. We can't comprehend that, how amazing that is. And they have it, what that saying there in 16 and 17 has both short-term and long-term incredible consequences for us as believers if you are a believer in Jesus. And everything is, is perfect right up until we read the last part of verse 17, and we go into verse 18. And look at, look at the last part of 17 going to 18. Things kind of get a little bit weird. So he says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Y'all read that there? Paul what, Paul, what did you just say? What is this provided we suffer with him? Paul, what did you just say? Provided the, the, the sufferings of this present time? See, these are the hard parts of Scripture that nobody really likes to talk about. These are the verses that aren't going to sell a lot of books. They're not going to promote a lot of movies. They're not going to turn your church into a mega million-dollar church because these things are hard. And yet we don't skip these things because they're just as relevant as the verses before it, saying you are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. You have all this richness, and that's true. But right behind that comes provided we suffer with him. And in the sufferings of this present time, we want to focus not on just the good and rewarding parts of Scripture, and there's a lot of that in Scripture, but we also want to understand that that's not the only thing in Scripture. And so when we read Scripture, we read it in its totality. We read it in the, in the context. And so there are amazing promises given, and we definitely should stand on those and cling to those. But we also need to know that those promises are usually given just like they are here, right alongside something that follows it that says, there's going to be something tough coming. There's going to be some heartache. There's going to be some trial. And I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not, this morning, my, my goal is not to paint this doom and gloom Christianity, okay? I'm, that's not at all. I think we should live victorious lives. I believe we should claim God's promises. We should stand on God's promises. We should look to the hope for the present time and for the future. But we have to do so in the context of those not being the only verses in Scripture. And so what I really want to show you today, though, is this suffering that Paul speaks of, and it's not just in Romans, obviously, it's throughout Scripture. It, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. It's not something we should run from. It's, it's something that we should be rejoiceful for. 
something we should be thankful for. And so as I was thinking about this, and I know with Thanksgiving coming up and we have, I know people are kind of reflective this time of year and you're thinking about the blessings we have. Uh, probably one of the blessings when you, well, whether, whether you sit down with your family or you sit down with time with the Lord and, and you offer a time of Thanksgiving, probably one of the things you're not going to mention is some of the trials and some of the problems and some of the hurt and some of the pain. Those aren't things we mentioned that we're thankful for, right? We th- and, and those things are like, oh, that's, that's been the bad part of 2019, but man, here's some good parts. And I understand there have been good parts, but what I want you to see is those bad parts are the parts that define us, are the parts that grow us, and are the parts that maybe we should be more thankful than, for than even the good times and when the times of, of prosperity. And so our perspective needs to be wider and our understanding needs to be deeper than just good, easy, superficial times versus, oh, this is a tough time, this is a time of trial. And so when we have that wider comprehension and deeper perspective, we can understand the amazing grace and the amazing love of our Lord in his purpose to give what Paul is saying there uh, in the sufferings of this present time. There have been many people to talk about the suffering mentioned in the Bible, and uh, all of them probably are smarter and well-versed than me. Uh, One of those is uh, Dr. John MacArthur, and he has written and preached on suffering countless times, literally, and he has tremendous things to say, but I just want to read a couple things that he said about it uh, to give you some perspective, and this is what he says. He says, "The, the suffering in this life creates reactions that reflect the genuine condition of the soul. God allows suffering to drive believers to dependence on him, an evidence of their true salvation. The more we willingly suffer for Christ's sake on earth, the more we are driven to depend on him rather than our own resources, and the more we are infused with his power. Suffering for Christ draws us closer to Christ. I mentioned this last week because Jesus told us specifically that persecution and suffering of some sort is not just a possibility for the believer, it is a reality. It is an absolute certainty. And I, read, I think I read these words last week from, this is Jesus speaking in John, and he says this, he said, if the, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so that, that, that's the basis, along with many other verses, why Dr. MacArthur and so many other Bible uh, teaching uh, people and Bible scholars, preachers, have made statements like the one I just read to you and, and made statements like the one I'm going to read. And this is also, this is MacArthur continuing. He says, because the, the present world system is under the reign of Satan, the world despises God and the people of God. It is therefore inevitable that whether persecution comes in the form of mere verbal abuse at one extreme, on the extreme of light, or as martyrdom at the other extreme, no believer is exempt from the possibility of paying a price for his faith. So what I want you to understand as we get get to Romans 18 specifically is that suffering and persecution is a certainty in the life of a believer. 
That's not, it's, not a, it's not a possibility, it is a certainty. And I think so many times in our culture, in our context, we fall into this faulty mindset that somehow I or my family or my friends or my church, somehow maybe God will exempt us from that. And that's kind of what we, we pray, or at least what we hope, even if we don't pray it consciously. And, and let me tell you that, that there is no exceptions to these things. A matter of fact, you should not want to be an exception to this truth. Um, I think so many times we pray, and I, I found myself doing this a lot, we pray for things that are safe, we pray for things that are comfortable, and we pray for things that are easy. Not only uh, for God, but I mean for us. And so we, we pray that, in, in essence, that God would make our lives easier and more comfortable. And what I'm telling you is that Scripture says in many verses, just like you read in verse 18, that it's the very opposite, that we should want to welcome in those times of suffering, those times of trial, those times of persecution, because what do they do? Go back to what MacArthur said, what Jesus said, that it drives us to be more like Jesus. It drives us to stop relying on our own resources. Hey, I got this, and I've used the term many, many times, white-knuckling this. If you ever held on something so tight your, your knuckles turn white, that's sometimes the way we live our Christian lives. And so we white knuckle everything, and it's my power, and it's my resources, and I got this. And so therefore, I feel more comfortable, and I feel better about my life. And in reality is, when you're in a trial, or you're in suffering, you realize you have no control. And you realize all of your dependence is not on you and your white knuckles and your strength, but it's on Christ. And it changes our dependence to be on him, and therefore grow us and mature us and sanctify us in Christ. What the Bible is unclear about, though, is the intensity level of the persecution and the suffering of each individual believer. As MacArthur said, and I would agree with him, some believers, I believe the persecution may be mild. It may be something seemingly superficial. It may be verbal. It may be, you know, something that's like, nah, not, not a huge deal. For other believers, that persecution can be extremely severe to the point of physical torture, mental torture, to the point of, as he said, martyrdom, to the point of your life is taken. And and this reality hit home with me this past week as I, like uh, many of you probably um, that are familiar with the situation, followed along with some of the ministry updates coming out of a ministry that we support, and that is uh, Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. Uh, for those of you who do not know Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, uh, give you a little glimpse into their ministry. Uh, Snowbird is an, an incredible ministry. They are what they call a, they, they call themselves a high adventure outdoor student camp committed to gospel-centered discipleship and solid biblical teaching. And, and their whole goal is to use cutting-edge high adventure recreation to draw students to Snowbird where they share their life-changing message of Jesus Christ And so one of their goals is to ensure that every aspect of everything they do falls under the authority of Scripture while they uphold the Word of God with the utmost regard. And so our church is a financial partner with Snowbird because we believe so strongly in their ministry. So that means that every dollar you give to Connect Church, a portion of that is going right to them in the ministry that they are ongoing. They are located in in Andrews, North Carolina, just on the the border of uh, Tennessee there. 
but their ministry is, is literally worldwide. They've got missionaries and training occurring not only nationwide, but uh, internationally as well. And it's not just a student ministry, which is amazing, but their ministry, as you can tell from some of these graphics, is for all people. Got, they've got marriage conferences and men's conferences and women's conferences and, you know, a lot of different things going on. There's, there's ministry training occurring. And uh, just a little bit about Snowbird, my personal relationship with them began about a year into my first year of ministry. Uh, it was back in 2000, 2001. I was the youth pastor at Turner's Chapel, which is the church that uh, planted Connect Church. And um, we had needed to make some decisions about we were going to take a small group of students to a retreat. I had no idea. I mean, I was like 20 years old. I had no idea where to take students on a retreat. And back then, at least for me, I didn't have great access to the Internet. I think the Internet just came out maybe or something. And, and the way uh, I found out about Snowbird, this is crazy, and it's, it's 100% true, I had one of those Christian magazines that now I don't even know if they even come out, and I was just reading through it, and in the back it said, places for your students to go on retreat, and it had the different states listed. I'm like, well, is North Carolina, does there have anywhere? And they had three little places listed under North Carolina, and I don't remember the other two, but I'm like, Snowbird, never heard of that, but it's North Carolina, I'm going to give them a call. And uh, Snowbird had just started a, a few years before that. I gave them a call, uh, really connected with them over the phone, I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll try this. And, and we took up uh, a really small group of kids uh, for a retreat up there. And that's, that's been almost 20 years ago. And, and, and since then, we've probably, uh, the, the youth pastors that followed me at Turner's Chapel have probably taken 18, 19, 20 different student groups to Snowbird, specifically for their summer camp, maybe even for winter retreats, whatever it might be. And there's, there's countless others uh, both here at Connect Church and at Turner's Chapel, who have attended marriage conferences or women's conferences, men's conferences, whatever else. So they're a really solid ministry. Their leaders are solid men and solid women who love God and love the Bible. And uh, some of you uh, were able to attend this past Wednesday uh, the kind of an informal event that Turner's Chapel held um, where they hosted Greg and Kilby Helms. And uh, I was uh, not able to be there, but Kilby is the daughter, if you're familiar with Snowbird, she's the daughter of Brody and Little Holloway. Brody is uh, the co-founder, and he's the director of Snowbird. And uh, Greg and Kilby have, have been in the mission field some, and they're preparing to go into the mission field uh, long-term. And they're two of many, many, many missionaries that Snowbird trains and sends out to all over the world. And uh, we are partners uh, with some of those missionaries here. Uh, both as individuals, as families, but also as a church. We're partners with some of those missionaries that Snowbird has, has sent out. But um, they, Greg and Kilby specifically, operate an organization called Let Me Introduce You. And it, the whole idea is it takes the, the idea is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that more and more people can be introduced to Jesus. And so during, I believe, the, the winter, spring of this past year, so I don't know, February, March, April, May, somewhere in that range, uh, Greg was able to, to, to visit a small city in Africa uh, with some of the other Christian missionaries that we were affiliated with and, and Snowbirds affiliated with. And he was able to stay there for a month. And he was, uh, got involved there, much like we do with our partnership with Ukraine, where there are English-speaking or English-teaching classes 
one of the things that Americans can sell the best to any nation is the ability to speak English. And so a lot of times, our partnerships in ministry and our partnerships in missions, it starts with our ability to speak English. That's, that's, the, that's the open door to us. That's what's opened the door in Ukraine for us, and that's what's also opened the door in some of the African nations and all over the place. And so he got involved there uh, teaching a, a small group of local men in that city uh, to speak English. Uh, and over the course of that time, obviously, uh, Greg was able to grow very close to these men. They learned about each other's lives, uh, and, and Greg was very open to them. He shared with, him, with them uh, his relationship with Jesus. Yet keep in mind, all of these men are devout Muslims, which is by far the predominant religion in that area. And he writes um, in several of his journal entries that I was reading that they would, they would stop at the periodic times in their English training so they could go wash and go pray to Mecca. And it was like that was just part of what we're doing. Like I'm teaching English. Oh, it's time to pray. So we're going to go wash your hands and wash your face and all, that, all the ritualistic stuff that Muslims are required to do. And they would pray. They would finish. And they would come back and start class again. And uh, on Greg's last day in country before he would fly back to the United States he was able to give each man a a certificate of participation for their commitment to attend the the English course over that series of weeks I guess it's three four weeks there and he was also able to give them a Bible in Arabic which is the the local uh, language and Greg describes his trip and specifically this last day in a journal article that, that Snowbird recently uh, shared on their uh, Facebook page. And some of the men got together there, and they took uh, pictures uh, proudly with their certificates they'd earned. And they took pictures with Greg and the others there that were uh, teaching. And um, they made some, you know, kind of final exchanges of gratitude. Thank you. We're going to miss you, that kind of thing. Uh, here's one of the pictures that Snowbird posted this week. Um, obviously, this is Greg on the left. Uh, the gentleman on the right, his identity has, has obviously been con- concealed along with the wording on the certificates. And the reason that has been concealed is because of the massive religious persecution that goes on in their country, not for converting to Christianity, but just for being associated with Christianity. So his identity and those certificates uh, they're not out there to be seen so that their identity can be concealed. But Greg refers to this young man you see here, one of the men that finished his class, uh, refers to him as B, the letter B. And um, he, he talks about this. Um, he says, after the pictures were taken, you can see they're in a little small shop there. He said that in this journal article, which, by the way, that, uh, if you want to read the whole article, that's the link to the article. And you can check that out on Snowbird's website. That'll be up on our website so you can read the whole thing. It's really awesome. But um, after these pictures were exchanged, uh, came a moment that Greg described in his journal entry with great detail. And I want to read to you some, uh, just a few of these words. Like I said, it's a, it's a lot longer, and you can read all of it on the Internet uh, if, you, if you would like to read more. But this is what he said. This, again, this is the last day they're there. They had just finished these pictures, just finished these kind of greetings. And this is Greg speaking. He says, there was a solemn silence at the table, and I knew it was time to speak. I looked at the shop owner, and I spoke delicately. He said, you all know that I love you sincerely, and I have shown you this with my time and efforts throughout this short stay. Will you allow me to share in words with the group 
where this love comes from through your translation. And Greg says, I'll never forget hearing his response was, quote, of course, Mr. Greg, you are our friend. And this shop owner, also devout Muslim, translated the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of God's love uh, in Jesus to these men as Greg was saying it in English. He was translating it into Arabic. And Greg writes, at first I wondered if he was truly translating what I was saying. He said, I've seen that trick before. But he was. I looked across the table. One of the quiet men had tears in his eyes. I handed each of them a copy of the Bible. And I explained that this was a gift from me to them. It was still wrapped in plastic. It was likely the first new book many of them had ever received. And I explained that I knew they felt an obligation to receive this gift, but that I would also not be offended if they wanted to leave it with me. I share with them that the God-man Jesus who changed me and is changing me, who altered my eternity and enabled me to love, could be found on the pages of this book. They all said they would keep their copy, each with a smile and a gesture of thanks. And one man even said, this is local Arabic. How did you get this? I told them that I know some people, and we all laughed. The truth is, they had never seen the Bible in their local dialect. And I encourage them to read it for themselves, to see the truth which brings followers of Christ of full joy, deep peace, and a heart of compassion. Each man gave me a hug, several handshakes, a few words of blessing, and we parted ways. And then Greg continues in his journal entry. He said, fast forward 12 days. He says, one of these men, B, the man here in the picture, had read the entire New Testament in those 12 days. He had since, later on, made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I had brothers who were working in the area meet with him to verify verify the sincerity of the statements made through our Google translated text messages. To be honest, I tend towards skepticism, often to a fault. My missionary friends shared with me that this was indeed a true conversion, as true as they'd ever seen. It is a marvel to see the Spirit of God work. The Lord gave B dreams as he poured through the scriptures. He explained a dream where there was light beyond light, and he was keenly aware that the voice he heard was Jesus speaking to him. The voice told B that I was sent to that place of business to tell him of salvation. Greg continues to say, God granted me favor in my short season there, and specifically on that last day. Now, several are praying for and working alongside B locally, aiming to spur him on in the faith and provide practical and contextual support. Listen to this. In eight weeks, B had read the New Testament three times. When I read that, I had to stop reading that again. Like, is that a misprint? In eight weeks, B had read the entire New Testament three times. What does that say about our Bible reading, by the way? What does it say about the our Bible reading? How convicting is that? Anyway, Greg continues. It was, it was taking deep root and convicting his heart. B's family burned all of his belongings when they heard his claim that Jesus is Lord. His uncle and his father have threatened his life repeatedly. B told me he doesn't wish to die, but if he must, it will be with the name of Jesus Christ on his lips. 
because Jesus has saved his soul. This from a man who has known the Lord only a few months. As B has been abandoned by his family, other believers have stepped up and been the church and supported B as a brother and assisted with housing. An arranged marriage, which he was already, quote-unquote, given to, has been called off. This is a rather big deal in a culture where a man must have a wife to be respected as a man. B is currently trying to share with his friends in the workplace while growing in his faith. He continues to pour over the scriptures. He still needs to connect tightly with a community of local believers in his area. And he says, Greg says, pray that Jay, the shop owner, who is also a devout Muslim, would come to know Jesus as Lord and be a source of influence in the neighborhood and through his place of business for the sake of the gospel. A little bit later along, I don't know exactly how long uh, time-wise it uh, went through here, but Greg writes this. He said, This morning I woke up and I received a message from A, who was another student and friend from the English course. He's read the New Testament. He's now going through it again. It is, he is receptive as I share specific passages with him, and he's aiming to memorize several of these passages and Greg writes, I suspect that B has been sharing with him and that this man will come to know Jesus. And then on Tuesday evening, later that same week, as I wrote this very story, I received a message that two other men, M and H, have both come to know the Lord as B reasoned with them and taught them from the New Testament. Tears filled my eyes as I read the message aloud to my fiance. B understands all the more that his work is that of an evangelist. His commission is to herald the truth of Jesus Christ to those he loves, still held in Islam. It's the message that has been entrusted to him. And Greg asked, pray that many men and women would become brothers and sisters in Christ, ushered into the family, pray for a mighty move of the Spirit of God. And Greg ends with this. He said, I can write without end on how this journey has stretched me and challenged me while nourishing my soul. This season both answered and raised questions. I've received new insight and opportunity to relate with brothers and sisters beyond our borders and our comfort. All of a sudden, listen to this part, all of a sudden, the far-off people and the far-off realities and the far-off consequences that are not my own, which I've prayed over, seem very, very close to home. This is the story of one African-Arab man who came to know Jesus and we pray for many to follow. What an incredible testimony, number one, to the power of the Lord in, in through one man's obedience. And I'm talking about Greg, to just, to just go. He was there for a month, just go. And he's planning to go uh, more. He's going to be more involved. But then not only his obedience, but another man's obedience, B's obedience, to accept Christ and then realize that what that means is to make other disciples of Christ. What I just read to you was written back on June the 1st of this year. So it wasn't recent. I mean, it was fairly recently, but it was a few months ago. But it leads me up to the events of the last 7 to 10 days. And this is why I'm sharing this with you. Instead of describing to you a story that I do not know anything about, which a lot of you heard about this past Wednesday night, I thought I would just simply share with you uh, a brief set of, of videos uh, from Brody Holloway, the director at Snowbird, as this past week, I'm saying the last seven to ten days, this started last Friday, he would give, just off his cell phone, live kind of updates about what was going on with B in the country where he is 
in Africa. So you've seen uh, B, and you've heard a little bit about his story, and then this, the, the first video you're going to see came uh, last Saturday, which was uh, November the 16th, and then there's uh, two or three quick videos on Sunday, and then one on Monday, one on Tuesday. They're really, really quick, and, it's, and it, the, the video and audio quality is not great. Obviously, it's not made for that. It's, it's Brody trying to provide real-time updates so the church can be praying. And so I want to show you these real quick, and then I wanna, we're going to close, close the message. Hey, I wanted to just uh, blast all of the SWO family and friends and community and let you know there's a brother, a very dear brother of ours, who's been following Jesus for just several months now, and he's in a very difficult place where persecution is a reality. Many of you know his story. You've heard us talk about him and ask prayer for him. The Lord has used this young, new believer since last March to, to reach over 100 people in a, in a really large city that is under a Muslim stronghold. And the news that we got in the middle of the night was that he's been abducted, put in chains, and is being held in a, we don't know, we don't know where he's at, but we know he's being tortured, and we know uh, there's a very strong possibility he's going to be executed. So please, please, please pray for our brother. Right now, stop what you're doing, lift him up. Pray for him in Jesus' name. That's all we can tell you. Can't tell you his name, but we will keep you posted. Thank you. Hey, I thought it might be helpful to do a series of videos on our brother. Um, we've had an incredible outpour of support since yesterday when we posted that video. Over 10,000 views, and a lot of people are asking for updates. And the, the, the up, First, I'm giving you an update, then I'll follow this up with some videos, giving you what details we can about this brother. So the update is we haven't heard from him in about... Um, 18 hours, and that last message was that he had he had managed to endure several hours of torture uh, and had not recanted, and he was standing firm, and he was asking for prayer. And uh, so we will update you as soon as we know anything else from him. He's not from here. He is an indigenous um, believer, a, a fairly new convert in the region that we're we're working and serving. So please continue to pray for him. I'll follow this up with some, some fact and detailed videos. I want to give you an update and just ask you to continue to pray for our brother. He is, uh, we, we actually have heard from him because of some people that are there in the house where he's being guarded and tortured who have helped him get a message out. And uh, so he's still alive, but He's very weak from lack of water and food and from the physical torture he's enduring over the last, he's endured over the last 48 hours. So that's that's the latest update. Please continue to pray. Pray that something like Acts 12, when Peter was, basically Peter escaped uh, miraculously because God sent an angel. Um, let's pray that that happens tonight. Thank you. I'm on my way to church right now. We're going to have a, a prayer service tonight. <clears throat> uh, praying, just interceding for our brother uh, who we're calling B. A lot of people have asked why we don't, why there's not a rescue effort. And I, I tried to explain earlier, I'm trying to be careful because we don't want to jeopardize him in his captivity, but he is being held by people that have very powerful connections and positions in local government. So it's not that simple when you're working in these types of countries where we have a, a real uh, distinct cover to be there. 
It's not as simple as that. So uh, he is a, he is a, an indigenous person, meaning he's native to this area, uh, and it is local government officials that have him in captivity, but they don't have him in official captivity, if that makes sense. He's being held in a safe house where he's being tortured. And there are people that, and I just can't say a lot right now. We're working. We're working on that end. People are working on that end. We ha There are people keeping us informed and trying to help him right now, but it's it's complicated. And so uh, he could, we, we just, we're praying that the Lord will miraculously deliver him out of this situation. And even praying that tonight something m might happen like what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 12, in Acts 12, when Peter was in chains and God freed him miraculously. And so we're praying something like that happens. We're also praying that, that God will continue to give him more favor with some of those that are there. In his captivity, there are people that are, um, that, that, uh, I'm trying to be careful, but there are people that, that are good, um, so it's complicated and, and, and just need people to pray. And I know that it's hard to not understand, not be able to understand more detail and know what's going on, but this man's life is at stake and it's better right now that you just pray knowing that God knows and that we're doing everything in our power and people, other people, not just us, other, many people are working even at the government level. And, uh, and, and so just continue to pray for him and we'll keep you informed. We're praying that miraculously tonight he would he would be either released or that he would escape that that's how you can pray specifically right now and that is and that of course that his faith would stand firm that those who have him in captivity would be moved by the gospel that either god's grace would change them or god's wrath would change them but that the gospel would would change their lives uh and that yeah i just pray that in the end that God would be glorified in everything and that the church would continue to grow and advance in this place. We'll keep you informed as much as we can, when we can. Uh, and so just continue to pray. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Good Monday morning. Wanted to take a minute and give everybody an update. Praise the Lord. Our brother is safe. He's alive. And your prayers are being answered. So can't give a ton of detail right now because there is still... I mean, he's still in country, and but he is with our people, two of our people, and uh, so we're rejoicing. Um, and it was a crazy night last night, crazy night. I, I pray that in time we're going to write a book and tell the story, but that time is not now. A lot of people are, we've had some people uh, through social media outlets questioning in the, the authenticity of the story, um, sort of messing up some of the details and facts and and uh, all I can say is thank you guys for praying, those of you that have. <laughs> we don't sit around trying to make stories like this up. Um, and the other side of the world, there's places that don't operate the same way we operate. And just uh, we're thankful for a strong, uh, strong partnerships and people that have, that have, a lot of people have gone to work over the last 72 hours. Uh, it, it, there was questions about how was he abducted and why was nobody doing anything about it. And there were important people involved and he willfully went into some meetings with some clan leaders, religious leaders and family elders. He willfully went there knowing that he may be um, killed, tortured, whatever. 
But then he was eventually put in a situation where hired people were dealing with it, and so then he then he desired escape. And uh, the way we've communicated with him is, man, we can't we can't tell you that it wasn't his phone. His phone was taken from him after he sent one text in the initial snatch and grab abduction. Um, I can't say a lot, but I, I, I don't want to answer foolish questions. Um, I don't want to waste time. I just want to give thanks to those of you that have been praying and partnering. I have not slept much the last three nights, but I feel very rested and joyful this morning, and, um, and your prayers have been answered. we still got a long ways to go, and we'll keep you posted. But I really do think we're going to tell this story for – I mean, I think my grandkids are going to be telling this story when it's all said and done. So one, one prayer request that I would ask you to pray specifically – for the dozens of believers in that region, that city, who are indigenous, who are local, who are, who our brother and partner has led to faith and has been leading in, in that work, pray for their strength of res and resolve of faith. Pray they don't turn back uh, in, in the face of this persecution. Pray they will stand firm because that's what the enemy wants. And, uh, and we'll have more details for you when we feel like it's safe to do so. But, again, it, it, things look up this morning, and he's – He's in a lot of pain, and people are taking care of him right now and uh, continue to pray for him. The man has a heart of a lion. Proverbs 18, I believe, 27 or 8. Somewhere in Proverbs there's a scripture that says the righteous are as bold as a lion. This man has the heart of a lion. He's, I've never seen somebody with more courage. So we're rejoicing this morning. Thank you all. Thank you so much. If, if you watched last night's Red Oak worship service, I think we, we, we go into some detail. We had to silence some of it, but there's some detail there, and you can maybe, maybe piece some things together. Okay. Thank you, guys. Hey, good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's 9 o'clock on Tuesday. We want to give a quick update. <clears throat> I've just been on the phone for the last little bit with some, uh, some of our team members, and uh, <clears throat> some really good news. So our brother B, who many of you have been praying for, and I know you're following and wanting these updates, he's been in a safe house for about for about the last 30 hours. <clears throat> and our, our team members, Snowbird Red Oak, team members and partners have been ministering to him. Now some other missions organizations are working and helping. And so <clears throat> he is currently, right now, he's on his way to uh, a compound, a, a, a good secure compound, that is uh, is owned by a, a very reputable missions and humanitarian organization, and there's a medical doctor there waiting for him. The fear uh, in going to a local hospital there is that the the closest hospital is controlled and primarily run by uh, one of the tribes that <clears throat> is a, is opposed to this man and his work and, and uh, in fact was sort of involved in his abduction so um, hard to understand in the west but but in, in tribal societies it's it's normal and so there's been some concern he needs medical attention but there's been some concern about how to best get that so uh, working with another organization that has a solid medical team and so he's on his way there now he's you can pray specifically most of the torture was beating from on, on the backs of his thighs, severe beating, and on the bottoms of his feet. And so he's, he's in a lot of pain. <clears throat> the concern is his low back was beaten as well. So we want to have his kidneys checked. We want to have his internal organs checked. Make sure he's not septic. 
he seems to be doing really well. He's very joyful. I've got video and, and, and pictures. Haven't been able to FaceTime or Skype with him, but I've had phone calls, but lots of video and pictures, and he's doing well. And uh, this will encourage you. Um, our Snowbird team members are going to be are with him and accompanying him for this medical exam. And then afterwards, they're going to they're going to meet with him, and and the plan is to sing songs of praise, to read the scriptures together, and to uh, and to pray together. And that is how the their afternoon evening is now going to go. And uh, so you can rejoice. You can rejoice with him as they're doing that. Uh, he will be back with his church. They'll be meeting on Thursday evening, the, the church that he's leading of indigenous people in this Muslim um, background um, believing community. And so <clears throat> young, most of them young Christians that he has been influential and leading to faith. So they'll be meeting on Thursday and rejoicing. At that time, he's going to recount to them and tell them the whole story. Many of them don't know exactly what has happened. So we've asked that you pray for them as they uh, understand the realities of persecution he is, he is a true shepherd and leader, even in, in, in his young faith, because he has borne the brunt of this and, and, and hidden most of this from his, those that, that he's discipling and leading. They don't realize what he's been through over the last five days. So um, <clears throat> I'll give you some more details as things progress. The, the primary threat is, is almost gone. The, the immediate threat should be, should be out of the country. Um, soon or out of the region and uh and so once that happens we can hopefully open up and start to share a little more detail with names and things like that so thank you all for your prayer we love you we'll keep you posted so you can tell in 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 the intensity of this moment the intensity of uh of what's going on and this was all this past week um that was that was tuesday morning he was speaking of thursday night meaning three four days ago uh, and, and, I, and I hope you can see a couple things. Number one, I hope you can see that uh, the power of prayer. I mean, you talk about people coming together to pray. That is Acts 12 stuff like Brody's talking about. Uh, when I first got word of this, I, I had saw maybe one of those videos, and I was under the impression of everything that I had read that there was no way this guy was going to make it through that night, that execution was pending. And I believe that to be the case. And so a couple things I, I want you to, to see from this. Number one, suffering for Christians and for the Christian is real. And persecution for the Christian is real. And it is ongoing at this moment. And I realize it may not be happening to you. It may not be happening to somebody you know. But it is happening to our brothers and our sisters around this country and around this entire world. And it's, it's not just this isolated one-time event. I, I show you this event because this is the most current thing going on that I'm, I have personal relationships with. A lot of you have personal relationships with these people. And it's, it's very impactful because, as you know, I don't know B, but I know Brody and I know some of the missionaries there, and a lot of you do too. And it's very, very um, conflicting, very emotional in many ways because of what, what's going on. And I share that with you not only so you can be praying. By the way, if you go to, to, to Snowbird's Facebook page, you can get all these videos. I, I don't have any private access. All that stuff's out there for you guys to see. And if you want to continue to follow uh, and pray, I'm sure uh, Brody and others will be posting more as the week goes on as they can. But it's Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. 
uh, go to their Facebook page. Um, they, they post a lot of good stuff, not just this stuff. But uh, anyway, but I, I think a lot of times we think that these kind of things only happen outside the U.S. And, and I, let me just share with you, all of the recent data would suggest that the U.S. is falling right in line with every other nation in the world in the rebellion against God. I, I got a separate email this week while all this was going on. This is not related to any of this. I got a separate email uh, from discipleship.org, and the email was, uh, was an article titled, How Our Culture Disciples Us Away from Jesus. I'm like, what? And this is talking about American culture. We're not talking about where, where B's at. It says, how our culture disciples us away from Jesus. And let me, let me just show you where we're going. This is the, uh, the Pew Research Group put these numbers out. Uh, there was a 12% decline in those claiming to be Christians in the last 10 years. Again, this is all in the U.S. Church attendance down by over 7% the last 10 years. This is frightening. Only 49% of millennials now identif- even identify as Christians. Then that's not to mention the ones that identify really aren't Christians. And then those who say they have, quote, no religion, that number has grown to 30 million in the last 10 years. That's 30 million Americans, okay? These are, these are numbers that I'm telling you guys that these things are not getting better I'm not trying to paint a bad, negative picture, but they're getting worse. And so the things that we hear about going on with our brothers and sisters, wherever that might be, I'm saying that America is falling right in line with these things. The Barna Research Group, they also put out similar information about the upcoming generations. That's specifically millennials and and Generation Z. And this is so alarming. 64% of Christian youth are dropping out of church in their 20s. 64%. That's kids that are raised in the church, they get out of college, and they quit church. 64%. 48% of millennial Christians think it is wrong to share their faith in hopes of converting someone. We have become so politically correct that almost half of millennial Christians think it's wrong to share your faith. And only 10% of Christian 20-somethings have what is described as a resilient faith. You want to know what a resilient faith is? It's what B has. That's what a resilient faith is. And I would say that that 10% of Christians in their 20s right now in America that have that is probably not even 10%. That, that's the 10% that, that claim it. So the, these statistics are just a small glimpse into where our culture is and steadily being turned away from Jesus. And that's right here in the U.S. But we should not be totally blown away by these numbers because Jesus warned us it would be this way. Jesus told us it would be this way. And it's happening across the world, and it's, it's also happening here in this country. So, so what do we do? Why would I paint such a negative, depressing picture for you this morning and, and leave you with this? Let, let me give you two reasons as we close. For, first and foremost, and I, I say this with the most sincerity I can muster, is that we need to have an accurate understanding of Scripture, a very, very accurate understanding of Scripture, and then also an accurate understanding of reality. I think so many times, especially here in the Bible Belt, especially if you've been raised in church, we have these, we have Bible verses, and, and we kind of, you know, they're on our walls at home, and we memorize them, and they're on our T-shirt or whatever, and, and that's our little world. Our little world is these, these Bible verses, and, and, we, and, we, and, we, and we claim them, and we, and we want to live by them, and, and then that's great. And I, and I definitely think we should do that. 
but I want to tell you that there's a lot bigger picture, a lot bigger picture than what's happening in, inside the, the four walls of your home. And we need to have a bigger picture of the reality of Christian suffering and the reality of Christian persecution, but we also need to have a bigger picture and a bigger view of Scripture. You know, not just taking Romans 8, 16, and 17 and saying, those are my verses, and then not reading what's behind 17 and 18, which says these present sufferings. And, and I consider it uh, that these sufferings are uh, time to not be worth comparing. That's, and that's what I want to do, the second, second reason, and that is to encourage you. It's not to be discouraged. Look what Paul says. I read this earlier. This is the verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that is this moment, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'm sharing this with you guys in this week of Thanksgiving, not to discourage you, but to encourage you. Because when trials and suffering come, what Paul says is, I I consider these things are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. And these truths are not just in Romans, obviously. I could be up here forever. But Paul says this, and I love this in 2 Corinthians. He said, don't lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the ultimate bottom line I want you to take away from this morning is this. Is whatever you're going through, and I realize I have no clue what your life looks like, what, what you may be in a, in a season of suffering. You may be in a season of, there might be some real legit persecution going on. I've seen this, and you've seen this. But it might not be persecution. It might be you're just in a really down season. And I've had those seasons in my life. I know what that's like. It may be a mental struggle, an emotional struggle, a physical uh, ailment, a relationship issue. It could be a, a thousand things. But what I want to tell you is that no matter what you're going through, that it's worth it and that it has purpose. And, and no matter what it is, if it just seems like those dark clouds are following you, like no matter where you go, like you just can't escape, I want to tell you, because I've felt like that many, many times, and I can imagine that our brother, the B, can, I can't imagine the way he felt. Let me just reassure you of the, the power and the promise of God's Word, that everything you're going through is meaningful, not meaningless. That means every detail, even the ones that nobody knows about, meaning only you and the Lord know. The person sitting beside you this morning doesn't know about it. The people in your family don't know about it. Only you and the Lord know that those details are meaningful, not meaningless. Because these things, as Paul says in Romans 8, 18, are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. We'll ask the band to come. They're going to they're close us out. And I just want to leave you with a, with a thought as they're coming. I know a lot of you have heard this and read this quote many times, but I go back to it a lot because it, it helps me to get through my day sometimes. And it's a, it's a quote from Dr. John Piper, and it's, it's obviously based on Scripture. I just want to close with this before we sing. He says this, Not only is all of your affliction momentary, not only is it light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but every second of it is meaningful. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. He says, I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, it wasn't meaningless. It's doing something.
let me just remind you and ask you in this week of Thanksgiving, number one, to pray much for our brothers and sisters like B, who are in the midst of persecution we've never seen. Let me, number two, encourage you to, when we ourselves go through trials and suffering, that we would say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this. I don't like the circumstances, but help me to grow through it. I'm thankful and I rejoice in it. And finally, as we go into this week of Thanksgiving, may we be thankful and may we rejoice in those times of suffering, in those times of the dark clouds, because the Bible tells us very specifically, it's during those times when we're growing and when our relationship is coming all about us to all about him. And you can see that through some of those videos we've watched and hearing about B. So I'd ask you to, to please be praying for him, be praying that, that his life would continue uh, to, to go well and the, the, the ministry there would just explode. But be praying for your own self, your own, your own family, because I think so many times we are not thankful. We don't rejoice in the suffering. We're not thankful for the trial. We say, God, please get me through it instead of learning what we can uh, learn in it. So let's, let's pray and then we're going to sing. Lord, thank you for your, your word. I pray that it will land not only right now heavy uh, on our, our hearts and minds, but I pray that it would land all week long as we are spending time alone with you in the word. Lord, I, I was just thinking of something Brody said in that video that reminded me of how, how we can take things for granted. Lord, that, that they were taken be after he was getting his medical treatment, and he said that the believers there, the rest of their afternoon, the rest of their evening was going to be spent singing songs of praise, reading scripture together, and praying together. That's what their afternoon is going to be doing. That's what their evening is going to be doing. Lord, may our evenings be doing that. May our afternoons be doing that. And I know that probably nobody in this room, I mean, I could be wrong, but nobody in this room has probably faced what our brother has faced over the last week. Those 30 to 60 hours of, of unimaginable torture to recant his faith. Lord, thank you for giving him the heart of a lion. Thank you for letting him stand strong in the face of persecution. Thank you for saving and sparing his life. But Lord, I pray that he would be not only strengthened for the, the believers there in that community, in that church, and they would, they would grow, but Lord, that he would set an example for us. This young man who's been a believer six months, that he would set an example for some of us that have been believers for years and years and years and our lives don't look any different. Lord, I, I just pray that we realize that, that Scripture is bigger than we think it is, that reality is bigger than we think it is, and that we would understand to, to put ourselves in the context of, of your big picture. I, I just pray that you would give us an understanding of that and change our hearts and change our minds to be more conformed to look like you. And Lord, for every single person in this room this morning that is going through one of those seasons, and maybe they've been going through one of those seasons for, for a year now, or two years, or three years, or ten years, and it's just suffering after suffering and, and dark cloud after dark cloud, Lord, let them know. Oh God, let them know that their suffering is not in vain, that every single moment is meaningful. That you are preparing them for so much more eternal weight eternal glory Lord let us see past 
the here and now, the circumstances, and let us see for eternity. We were not made to be in this fallen world. We were made to be with you in, in perfection without sin. And we, we ruined all that. We, we created a mess. But Lord, you have sanctified us and set us apart for those who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.